But this morning, I want to remind us that it really is a great privilege that we've been given to make a difference in this world, even in this community, and watch this, even for eternity. I don't know if you've forgotten this or not, but we have the opportunity in front of us every single day to make a difference in eternity. We have that opportunity. It is a great privilege given to us by God to make a difference for eternity. Everything that we do and say has eternal consequences to it. I'm not trying to put more pressure on you this morning. I just want you to come back to your first love. Even in Revelations, towards the end of this whole thing, Jesus reminds them, reminds us to don't lose your first love. Don't lose the passion. How many of you remember when you met your mate for the first time? Come on. Your heart was racing. Your adrenaline was pumping. For me, I was flexing. I had muscles in those days. So we were talking. And I'm up there and just like flexing my thighs. And she's like, she couldn't. She had passion. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm really not in love with my thighs, I promise you. <laughs> but I, I believe this. I believe that we've all been hardwired by God. It's in our DNA to make a difference. We've been hardwired to make a difference. I think the, the emptiness maybe most people are feeling today is because there's the there's just this lack of seeing something change there's just a missing element of change in people's lives and they don't see things happening and so they get discouraged and then they find themselves empty so then what we do is we go and we find other things to try and fill up this void inside of us when the only thing that'll ever fill it is by going out and reaching somebody and making a difference in their life that's the only thing that'll ever fill that emptiness inside your heart it's to go and, and help somebody, to go and reach somebody, serve somebody that Jesus tells you to serve, and then to see something happen. I'm reminded, even this week, I was reminded of this little boy. His name's Herschel. And Herschel was in my youth group years ago, and Herschel was going down the same path I went down. At about the age 16, he, this rebellious thing came on him. Age 17, he was hanging with the wrong people, doing the wrong things. His mama had no more control over him. And we went and did this outreach one day to the battered women's shelter. And it was a house they were remodeling. Just for these women who would, who would, who would get abused or, or beaten, and they would make a phone call, and they would have a, a house to go to to rescue. You follow me? And so we went, and, and Herschel, I, I convinced him to come with us. And in the process of that morning, Herschel just got involved. And something clicked inside of his head, and he went, you know what, I'm making a difference. And then I noticed his momentum picked up. I noticed his excitement raised to another level. I noticed that there was something inside of him that goes, man, this is just good. It's like he got engaged all of a sudden. It was like Herschel was back. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he looked at me and he goes, man, can we do this again tomorrow? Now listen to me, this is a teenage boy, his hormones raging, everything pulling him away from God that could be pulling him away from God. And in a moment of making a difference in somebody's life, he had, a, he had a, an emotional encounter with the, with the love of God that he was able to make a difference. We've been hardwired to make a difference in people's lives. And it's a privilege. I think about eternity the older I get, the more I think about it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, what's it going to be like 
What's it going to look like when we be able to recognize each other? Well, I'll be able to see Miss Clarabelle call, walking down the street and I say, hey, Clara. I want to be able to see people that I invested into their life, people that I stepped out of my comfort zone and I made a difference in their life. I want to see them in eternity. And without pride, I want to be able to say, you know what? I got something to do for God. God gave me the privilege of making a difference. And I want to do something with it. You've heard me say this a few times this year, but Christianity was never intended to be boring. Good place for an amen. It was never intended to be boring. When you study Jesus and you read the life of Jesus, it was never boring. You never read where he, he laid in the hammock, come on somebody, sipping on sweet tea, listening to his favorite So You never read it. Why? Because he was always busy making a difference. And what did he do? He lived a life that was full. He lived a life that made a difference. He lived a, he lived a life that impacted eternity. I go, Jesus wasn't bored. The disciples weren't bored. I think about Paul and I go, Paul wasn't bored. He was out trying to make such a difference that he got in prison for it. He didn't have time to be bad. (laughs) Right? So Christianity was never intended to be boring. I believe Christianity should be one of the most adventurous, exciting, exhilarating, emotional lives that, that anyone could ever live. I really believe it's greater than being an NFL football player. I believe it's greater than being the president. I believe it's greater than being a billionaire. Christianity is greater. It's a greater life to live. It's an adventurous life. Right? And we've been given a great privilege to change things around us, to make a difference. Psalms 112, um, verse 5 and 6 says this. It says, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs affairs with justice, surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. So good will come to him who what? Who is generous and lends freely. In other words, he realizes good's gonna come to the person that doesn't hang on to their stuff too tightly. Come on. It's going to come to the person that says, you know what, God, I got this truck. I'm going to use it for you. You know what, God, I got this extra money. I'm going to use it for you. You know what, God, I got this incredible ability to do things. I'm going to use it for you, right? And they give freely, and they lend freely, and they're generous. Good will come to that person. And then it says, it will come to the person who who conducts his affairs with justice. In other words, he's the type of person who's not trying to cut a corner, not trying to take advantage of somebody, not trying to always end up on top, who does things with justice. You see, you do things with justice when you do things for other people instead of yourself. Right? Then it says this, it says, he will not be shaken. I think that's great. He doesn't doesn't say that he will not go through shaking. Because the only time you can be shaken is when you go through the shaking, right? So he says he will not be shaken when he goes through the shaking. 
we're all going to face some shaking. Come on, somebody. But this person will not be shaken. They're not going to be thrown off course. And then the last part of it, which I think is incredible, says that he will be remembered forever. He will be remembered forever. This person he's describing will be remembered forever. I think about some people that are remembered forever. Winston Churchill is a guy who's been remembered forever. Nobody's forgotten about Winston Churchill, right? How many of you realize that, or how many of you know that Charles Manson died recently? How many of you? Raise your hand if you knew that. Okay, that didn't work. But he's not remembered the way he wanted to be remembered, I promise you. Because right now, he's facing something that he probably didn't think existed. Right? It says this guy will be remembered forever. So let me ask you a question. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Let me ask you this. Are you waiting for something incredible to happen, to just kind of happen in your life so that you can be remembered for it? Or are you on a course with your life that says, you know what, I'm going to leave a mark on this planet. I'm going to make a difference in the area that God's given me, so much so that I can determine how I'm being remembered. Here's the truth. You get to determine how you're remembered. Wow. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be remembered as a football player. When I realized that wasn't going to happen, they've forgotten about me. I can go back to Franklin. Nobody talks about the great catches I made. Right? But I can still determine what people remember about me. The time I spend with people, the time I give to people, the time I reach out and I lend freely to people, I do get to determine how I'm being remembered. Now, I believe in Christianity today. A lot of people are following God the wrong way. Following him the wrong way. We're following God and we're doing what he wants us to do out of duty and not delight. Come on, this is a big one. How many of you would say, man, Pastor, I pray, but I'll be honest with you, I don't always like praying. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you say, I, I, Pastor, I read my Bible, but I read it because I, I have to. Or I pray because I have to. How many of you would honestly say, you know what? I can't wait to wake up in the morning to pray. I can't wait to get up in the morning to read my Bible. There's the difference. It's duty versus delight, right? And too many Christians today are following God and doing what he wants them to do out of duty instead of delight. Am I right there? Y'all got a hangover or something this morning? Quiet. Quiet. I call it the have-to versus the get-to war. I have to. I have to do this. I have to go to church. I have to do this. I have to pray. I have to read my Bible. Instead of, I get to go to church. I get to go make a difference. I get to go park some cars. I get to go manipulate some kids. Right? I get to make coffee. I get to adjust the sound. I get to sing. God, there's other people for that. Not I have to. You see, something's got to transition in our heart that takes us from a have to 
to get to. And I understand the discipline of Christianity. I understand the hard work. I understand that even if, even early on, sometimes you gotta you got to discipline yourself to read your Bible and discipline yourself to pray and discipline yourself to listen to God. I understand that. But I want to tell you something. We shouldn't stay there. Somewhere along the line, it should transform into I get to. Right? It should go from I have to to I get to. To where we really are excited to talk to God. We really are excited to read his word. We really are excited, watch this, to do whatever he tells us to do. It's the kind of attitude that makes you pray in the morning and says, Lord, whatever you'd want me to do, I'm all yours. I think he falls off the throne sometimes. What? sad to say, but we've got a generation of people today that follow God out of duty and not delight. I firmly believe that that's not God's best for us. I really believe that he was, he wanted us to have more fun while we're on the farm. I really believe he wanted us to enjoy this journey so that when we get to heaven one day, we'll have something to talk about, right? We'll have something to chest bump about. Something to give knuckles about, right? Hey, did you see? Were you there? Let me tell you this story, right? Serving God should be a delight. It should be a delight and not a duty. Church should be enjoyed and not endured. Come on, somebody. Philippians 2.13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So here's the truth. God is still working in you today. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. If you're currently serving God out of duty and it feels like duty and it feels like work, listen to me. Here's a promise. Here's some hope. He's still working in you. And if you'll ask him, Lord, I want to serve you with a delightful heart and not a duty type of heart, Lord, would you, would you help me? The Bible says he'll give you the desire. Isn't that awesome? And we get, to, we get to get a desire to follow him out of delight and the power to do what pleases him. So how does he do that? How does he give us the desire and the power to do what pleases him? Well, you've got you to read it in another translation to get a better understanding. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 from the message translation says it this way. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. So how does God give us more desire? Does he just go, sprinkle a little desire dust on you? No, it don't. you don't wake up one morning and go, oh, I got, I got some more desire. It doesn't happen like that. How does he do it? When we act out in responsive obedience to him. Let me explain, because this is very important. We don't obey God 
to gain his love. He's already given that to us. We don't obey God to gain heaven that's already been given to us. We don't obey God to make him like us. We don't obey God just to be good people and get a pat on the back of the head. We obey God because we love him. Right? Because we've discovered and we realize that everything that he's done for me is incredible. And if if I can give back anything to him, then I'm going to do it. And in our responsive obedience to God, this is what I've seen in my own life. When I obey God, watch what happens. When God says, go give your neighbor that threw his leaves on your property a card for Christmas. Lord, we're going to have a conversation. Lord, I will if they'll take their leaves back. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. But if I will just be responsive in my obedience and the Lord says, go give them this or go do this for your neighbor. If I'll just go do that, watch what happens. I all of a sudden run into an experience where I get this type of confidence and also this this heavenly kind of satisfaction from God. It's kind of like he says, Jamie, I want you to go do this. And I just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And I go do it. When I'm doing it, I see something happen. Christianity should never be boring because we should always be obeying God. And when you obey God, something has to change. Usually something has to die, and then something gets to come to life. Listen to me. If you get to walk into a situation that God sends you into, and you get to see something die, and then see something live, is that not exciting? (laughs) And in that obedience... What I found in my own life is that when I'm even quicker to respond to God, when I respond in obedience to him, it just makes me hungrier to do it again. I just go, Lord, what's next? What's next, Lord? Where where are we going now? You follow me? There's a new desire inside of me. Why? Because I've seen something change. I made a difference. Why do we obey God? Because we've had an incredible encounter with his love. And anything that we get to do for him, I want you to look at me. It's a privilege. It is a real privilege to be able to serve God in that way. Because the thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus just came and he just did it first. He just served us. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't set it up. He just came and served us first. But I believe sometimes we lose our way. I believe we lose our way when we lose our why. Why do we obey God? Why do you come to church? Why do you live the life that you're living? Because you have to or because you can? You need to answer that question this morning. Because you have to? Do you feel that, that, that heavy burden of I have to? Or is there a, a, a delight inside of you that says, I get to. I get to. Sometimes we lose our why. You, you, ever, you ever have a job that you get tired of? Can you rewind the tape and remember when you were begging God for that job? 
And you can go and you can rewind the tape and you can see yourself telling everybody, man, I hope I get this job. You're telling your wife, man, I hope I, hope I get this job. Lord, please give me this job. And you, and you were so excited when they called you. And they said, hey, can you start Monday? You go, yes, I can start Monday. I'll be there early. And you're there early, right? And, what, and you're working your tail off. And what? It's, it's a delight. It's a delight. You're looking forward to going to work. What happened? Six months later, because in employment, there's a six-month honeymoon. I've employed a lot of people. There's a six-month honeymoon. Some people, it's three months. <laughs> you see all the devils come out. But what happens? We lose our why. You remember when you first met your spouse? We talked about it a second ago. Your heart would race. You couldn't go five minutes without thinking about them. Right? The men, we, we stepped our game up, brushed our hair a little longer, brushed our teeth a little longer, make sure we cleaned all the cracks and crevices. Right? Ironed our shirts or at least paid somebody to iron them for us. And, and we, we were looking good and we were ready and, and everything was good. Right? Because why? Because we were madly in love with them. Right? And we would do anything to spend time with them. Fast forward a couple years. Some days you walk in the house, you're like two old cave people living together. And you finally make it to bed at night and you lay down. We don't do that at our house, I'm just saying. I've heard of people that do that, you know. But somewhere along the way, we lost the why. Why do you serve God? Why do you love God? Why do you come to church? Why do you not go back to your old lifestyle you used to live? I want to I just bring you back this morning. Can we go back to the place where we go, man, it was a delight. It was a delight to serve Jesus. It was a delight to, to learn more about him. It was a delight to do whatever he asked me to do. I used to say whatever, Lord, and now I say, okay, God, if I got time. Right? How do we get back to that place? title of the message today, I get to. I get to share my story with other people about how God saved me from my sin. I get to help people that I never would have helped before because of God. I get to bring healing to people that are wounded and hurting. I get to bring hope to the hopeless. I get to bring sight to the blind. I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I get to see heaven come down to earth, and I get to be a part of it. Are you hearing me this morning? I get this like I'm God's conduit for his power. I'm his conduit for his love. I get to go and love on people with the love of God, and they get to experience his love. I get to do that. When I was in children's church, I got to love on kids. It was a privilege. That's why I love children's ministry. We get to. We don't have to. God's not putting a gun to your head. If you don't want to, you don't have to. That's scary for a preacher to say. You don't want to follow Jesus, you don't have to. You don't want to give up everything to follow after him, you don't have to. There was a guy in the Bible that did the same thing. The rich young ruler, right? Jesus said, get rid of everything and come follow me. 
what Jesus was really saying is that, bro, I got more than your money. I got, I got more adventure than you can buy. I got more experiences than you could ever pay for. Come on, man, give that stuff up. That's just temporal. Come on and do some eternal things that have an eternal reward, right? Jesus said, give that up. And what did the guy say? What did the Bible say? He went away sad. Well, flip that around. What if he says, okay. So if he went away sad, I wonder if he follows Jesus with some joy. I wonder if it's fun being a Christian. I get to change my family tree. Come on, that should be enough reason right there for somebody to say, I get to change the monkeys on my tree. I, right? Listen, I'm excited about that because th- my wife and I, we're, we're what we, her and I call a transitional generation where, where God plucked us out of her family and plucked me out of my family and he started something new. And my kids are being raised unlike I was raised and, and unlike she was raised and they're getting sin into a direction like I wasn't sent into, and, and God's doing something incredible. I get to change my family tree. My son don't have to face what I faced. Right? I get to change the tree, man. A new generation. So let me give you five reasons why we get to. Real quick. You getting anything this morning? Five reasons why we get to. Number one, Jesus got to first. I believe Jesus was excited to come to earth. I believe he was fired up. I believe he was on the edge of his seat, and he couldn't wait to come and be a part of this thing with us. I I believe Jesus was excited to be born and to come up the way we come up. I believe Jesus was excited. I believe he was looking forward to that. I believe there was an anticipation in his heart. Matthew 20, 28 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That verse tells me that Jesus made up his mind long ago that I'm coming to this, and I'm going to serve them. I'm not coming to be served, but I'm coming to serve. And I'm coming to give my life as a ransom for many. Christianity is a giving your life as a ransom for many. If we're followers of Christ, then this should be our same attitude. That I didn't come to be served. I didn't come for people to bow down to me. I came to serve them and to give my life as a ransom for them. Right? So that one day they may spend eternity in heaven. And when I'm strolling through heaven, I can go, hey, man, Lord, you remember this one? You remember when you told me to go help that person and look, Lord, they made it. Did I have something to do with that? Yeah. You did what I told you to do and you had something to do with that. Or maybe you're walking through heaven and Jesus is walking with you. He goes, hey, you remember him? You remember that cup of coffee at the Tobacco Plus I told you to buy for that person? I think so. That's him. Jesus did it first.
gave up his life. He gave up his seat. Gave up his comfort. Jesus saved me from myself. And then he gave me a new life to live while I'm on this planet. And it's a life of adventure. It's a life of joy. It's an abundant life, the Bible says. Not a lacking life, but an abundant life. It means it's big. It has a lot to do with it. It's the kind of life that just changes the people around you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a list of if not for Jesus, I would be? Have you ever made a list? If not for Jesus, I would be? I encourage you to do that. Go make a list one day and say, you know what? If it wasn't for Jesus, if I never would have had an encounter with Jesus, I would probably be this. I would be doing this. I would live here. I would do that. If not for Jesus, I would be on my fifth marriage because that was the pattern my dad gave me. If not for Jesus, I would be living in Franklin, probably hung over this morning because I drank all night. If not for Jesus, I would have lost every opportunity that was ever given to me due to drugs. If not for Jesus, I would be bowed up because of steroids. If not for Jesus, I wouldn't have this incredible family. If not for Jesus, I would be lonely. I would be depressed. If not for Jesus. If not for Jesus, I may have even committed suicide. I remember being a teenage boy and thinking about suicide. Didn't know who my daddy was, didn't know where he was, didn't know anything about him. I used to get a knife and I used to put it to my wrist. Nobody was watching. I wonder what it would look like if I took my life. If not for Jesus, I would have pulled the trigger. I would have slit my throat. If not for Jesus. Have you ever wondered about that? If not for Jesus, where would I be? What would I be doing? Jesus got to first. Matthew 10, 8 says this, to give as freely as you've received. You know what that means? That if Jesus gave you forgiveness, then you need to go and give forgiveness just like you received it. If he gave you healing, you need to go and give healing just like you've received it. If he gave you deliverance, you need to go and give deliverance just like you've received it. Is this making sense this morning? Freely give just like it was given back to you. That's all he asked. Is that whatever I've given to you, go give it to somebody else. Number two, second reason why we get to is because it's just fun. Can I be honest with you? It's just fun. I go to Highlands Elementary because I'm looking forward to what God's going to do with those four boys. I'm just excited. I want to see the transformation. I'm like, God, you know what? I'm tired of being boxed in this church. I want to go outside, and I want to see something happen. I want to see something Make something be made different. I want to go transform somebody's life. So I give them about 15 to 20 minutes on a Thursday. And I sit down and I tell them what they can do. And I'm going, man, I want to see. And change is already starting to happen. It's just fun. 
Acts 20, verse 35 says this. It says it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many of you have heard that verse before? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? People use that one around Christmas. I say to my mom, it's more blessed to give than receive. <laughs> you know that word blessed in the Greek? You know what it means? It means giddy. It means hilarious. Watch this. It's fun. It's more fun to give than to receive. Come on. It's kind of like when you roll down the neighborhood and you got the two little girls with the lemonade stand and they're sitting, they're standing there and they got their signs made, and their little stand and they got their lemonade and they got the Dixie cups and, and they got all this stuff and you roll in there and you go, ah, let me bless them, right? So you pull over and they say, hey, can, can I help you? Can I help you, right? And they come to the truck, can I help you? You want some lemonade? And then you go, yes, I'll take two. Oh, he wants two. And then they kind of, you know, and they're, they're nervous and they're, they're walking around and they're kind of, oh, antsy, right? And then, they, and then they come up and, and one's pouring and the other one's got two fingers in the cup and the other one's pouring and you don't know where those fingers have been. And, and then she comes walking up and she hands them to you in the window at the same time, right? And you take them and you try to, and instead of 50 cents each, you give them each a dollar, right? And then they go, oh, oh. And then what, you try to drive off with your two cups. And what happens? You look in the rearview mirror, and what are they doing? Oh, 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 and they're dancing, and they're, they're, they're shouting, and they're running in the house telling their mama, right? Why did you do that? Because it's fun, right? It's fun. You didn't drink the lemonade. You threw it out when you got around the corner. But it was fun to see their expressions. It was fun to see a change in them, right? You got to be a part of something. Is making sense? Christianity's fun. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Number three, the third reason we get to do this is because we're in this together and we're in it with God. You see, God wants you to get into a relationship with other believers. He doesn't want isolated people trying to do the same work. God doesn't want little silos trying to do the same work. He wants you to get into relationship with other believers simply because two can do more than one, right? Simply because iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. You know, I only have so much talent and ability. There's certain things that I'm good at, and there's a whole lot of things that I'm not. And if I'm ever going to be successful in the kingdom, i got to connect myself with people that are good where I'm not, right? And I need to make a covenant with those people, not a contract, a covenant that says, you know what? We're going to serve Jesus together no matter what. And together, we're more powerful than we are apart. You know, some of you have not planted yourself in the church. Some of you have not made the commitment to join this church. And this is not my pressure to get you to join this church. My pressure is to join a church. Put your roots in the ground and plant yourself. A tree that's constantly being transplanted never grows. 
It never thrives. It never produces fruit. Why? Because it's constantly being plucked out of one thing and put in another, and plucked out of one and put in another. Right? You want a tree to produce good fruit? You plant it in the ground, and you nurture it right here. What happens? It grows, and it produces fruit. Right? Find out who the people that God wants you to connect with and connect with them. Now, listen to me. Let me give you a little secret. It's not always going to be the people you like. (laughs) You see, God's people made up of all kinds of people. Some that you get along with real good. Some of them that you can't hardly look at. Let's just be real. But you know what? God usually joins me to the people I don't even want to look at. And he calls them sandpaper. And I've come to the point in my life where I go, dang, man, I must be rough. God's been sanding on me for a long time. You know how I know relationships are important? Because that's the very thing that the enemy's going after. He's going after your relationships. Let me give you a little secret this morning. Pay attention to the relationship that's under attack right now. Whatever relationship in your life, if it's with your sister, with your brother, if it's with your mom, if it's even if it's, especially if it's with your spouse or even one of your kids, pay attention to the the relationship that's under attack right now, and there's some tension there. Because listen to me, the enemy is attacking that relationship because there's something good if the relationship is good. Right? He wouldn't mess with it if it wasn't going to produce good. Make sense? So prayerfully consider what relationships you're struggling in and then begin to pray against that strife. Begin to pray against the schemes of the enemy. Begin to pray against that division. Because listen to me, if he's attacking it, that means that you're more powerful together than you are divided. Right? Your full potential can only be reached when you find the relationships God wants you to make. And you make a covenant with those relationships. Cheryl and I gave up a few things to be here doing this now. I can't say that I was madly in love with preaching or madly in love with counseling. I can't say that I I love being a pastor like it was my lifelong passion. I I was doing well. Everything was going fine, but we gave up a few things to be here. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel anything or make me look elevated or anything like that, but I'm saying that to say this. That, that there was something inside of me that said I'd rather be doing what God wants me to do than to be doing what I want to do. And I get to do it with some other people. And, I, and, I, and Cheryl and I find it a sheer delight to be able to serve Jesus with you. Can I just say that this morning? I love you. I'm excited about you. I pray for you. I'm believing God's best for you. Some of you are here because I prayed for you. Some of you, I only heard your name from somebody else. I said, Lord, you bring them here. Some people said, man, this person will never serve Jesus. I said, Lord, that's a challenge. Bring them here. And I counted a delight to be here serving Jesus with you. We're not here for the money. We're not here for the fame. (laughs) We're here because this is what God wants us to do. And because you're here.
I love the diversity of God's people. I love the different personalities. I want to grow old with you, but old with a lot of passion. Amen? I don't want to be old and can't do nothing. <laughs> Psalms 92.13 says this, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. If you're not planted, you're not flourishing. You haven't reached your potential if you're still isolated. If you're, if you're just this independent person, you haven't reached your potential. You haven't reached your full potential. You're not flourishing in all of your gifts if you're not connected to other people. It's a good quote. None of us are as good as all of us. Say that with me this morning. Say, none of us are as good as all of us. All right, number four, I believe in the vision of this church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture, and I'm going to prove it to you with some facts. The local church is the hope of the world. Ephesians 3.10 from the Message Translation says, Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Not enough? 80% of the the relief that came to Houston after the hurricane came from Christians and Cajuns. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Hey, we jumped on board. We had a mission, right? That's what I love about being in South Louisiana. You flood, baby. I got a boat. I'll come get you, Shad. Just hold tight. Don't go nowhere. 80% of the relief came from Christians. 65% of the hospitals in America are built by Christians. If you take the local church out of America, you're really going to have some extreme chaos. I'm just telling you, the local church is the hope of the world. I believe in the mission and vision of this church, that we're here to reach people and build lives. That's what we're here for. And then number five, last one. I believe this is the most important one. If you didn't hear anything else I said this morning, I hope you hear this. Why do we get to? Because I believe one day we all want to hear Jesus say, well done. I get to. I get to be a part of determining what I'm remembered for. I get to be a part of determining what heaven's going to look like. You hear me this morning? I get to be a part of eternity. I get to determine what it looks like. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I kind of got this image in my mind of what it's going to look like when we get to heaven. I'm going to be in a holding room somewhere. This is my image. I can't prove it with scripture, but I'm just going to tell you this is what I believe. I'm going to be in a holding room somewhere. And somebody's going to come over the intercom. Jamie Tyler, please come into the next room. That's a good one. And I'm going to walk in, and there he's going to be, Jesus. 
finally get to put a face with the name. I may end up saying, you don't look like the pictures. I may say you're taller than I, than I thought you were. I'll be like, Jesus, that's you? Yeah, it's me. He's going to say, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. And this, is what I'm, this is what I'm longing to hear. To me, these are the greatest words one man can ever hear. When we stand in eternity, and Jesus says these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And then I'll promise you, in that moment, my heart will be completely satisfied. And I'll go, man, what a moment, right? Well done. I'm not doing this for my glory. I'm not serving Jesus to build a name for myself. I'm I'm not serving Jesus to really even bring attention to myself. All the attention is for him, and I want his name to be lifted up, right? But I get to be a part of it. And I want him to say, man, I gave you some tools. I gave you some incredible friends. And you used them to build my kingdom. I gave you the courage to speak in front of people, even though you were shy as all get out when you were younger. I gave you the patience to sit with people and walk with them through crisis. And I gave you the long-suffering to watch people make mistakes over and over again, to not give up on them, but to constantly give them hope so that one day they're delivered. I gave you that, and you did something with it. Right? And all I can say in that moment is, Lord, Because of you, I got to do that. I got to be a part of that. Let me give you a couple of scriptures this morning. Matthew 25, 21. It says, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. You see, I don't know what your image of Jesus is, but I want you to understand something. He's a rewarder. The Bible says he rewards those that diligently seek for him or diligently search after him. He rewards those. Jesus, he's got deep pockets, and he's constantly looking to reward us. The Bible even says that he's coming back for you one day on a cloud, coming back to bring you home, but he's bringing some rewards with him. Come on, he wants to reward us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear that? How many of you want to hear that? Say, Lord, if you, listen, if your wood's wet and you're dry and you're just like, I, I ain't got no, that, this thing feels like a have-to kind of thing. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Lord, would you set me on fire again? Lord, I want to make a difference. Lord, I want to change the environment that you've put me in. I don't, I don't want to be a thermometer. Lord, I want to be a thermostat. You've given me the power to change the environment. Listen to me. The 
start stirring it up inside of you. And one day you'll look up and you go, you know what? This is a joy. It's a joy to serve Jesus. It's a joy to spend time with him. It's a joy to see what happens. He gives us the plan. He gives us the ability. He gives us the desire. He gives us the power. He gives us all these things and so much more to do what he wants us to do, and yet he still rewards us. Isn't that amazing? He gives us everything to do what he wants us to do, and then he still rewards us. How many of you say God's a good God? He's a good God. 